Hello, everybody. Good morning. Today, we are going to be in a passage in the book of Numbers. Um, in this book, and we're looking at a prophet, Balaam. And Balaam has given, gotten instructions from God that he is only to do what God has told him to do. So let us read the word. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow path where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it laid down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I, not, have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If I had not, if I had not, had, had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now. But I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite territory. Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? Well, I have come to you now, Balaam replied, but I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. Then Balaam went with Balak to Kirath and Hazoth. These are the words of God for the people. Let us pray. God, today, let us hear this message that you want our ears to hear and let the words that come out of Pastor Mike's mouth be your words and his thoughts, be your thoughts. And speak in a way that our ears will hear and our hearts will know that you are God and you are, tr you are true in what you are saying to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. You know, years ago when I came, became the pastor, I uh, shared with you the idea that uh, February are, are uh, 28 of the reasons that I don't love Iowa sometimes. Thank you. Thank you, Kelsey. Um, and so we brought Fun Philanthropic February to you, and we brought uh, a few of these ideas that we love uh, celebrating. And so we're going to start with them. Some of you are geared up. A lot of you have beautiful black shirts that somebody's marred, but that's okay. 
I understand. <clears throat> um, but you like to cheer for your teams. You like to, you know, so I'm going to, I'm going to give you a three count. We'll go one, two, three, and then you go, you know, you say go whoever you're supporting. Okay. And you're going to have to yell loud because I have a live microphone and you might guess who I'm going to yell for. So, <laughs> all right. So you cheer. I see the Razorbacks are here and Stanford and all, all these things, the Detroit Tigers. So on the count of three, we're going to go whoever you say one, two, three, go all right, good. Praise the Lord. Now, that's what we like to use some of our time developing and, and enjoying. And of course, uh, we're here this morning because we're Christians, part of the body of Christ. And part of what we do as a body of Christ is we come together for worship. And in uh, a week from Wednesday, on February 14th, it's, it's of course, culturally, it's Valentine's Day. And uh, in the church... Um, there's a way to show your, your love to God, too. We have Ash Wednesday services that night at 6.30. Uh, it's a time of quietness. It's a time where we have several biblical readings, time where you can really reflect on your own life, uh, dip into your own confession, repentance, and receive the imposition of ashes and oil if you choose, which is a historic Christian symbol of repentance uh, and then God's granting of forgiveness. So we hope you'll come back uh, for that. So... Um, these uh, February and, and January, January and February, uh, Simon Kelsey and I are working on a sermon series called We Are On The Move. And the whole idea of this sermon series is to intentionally uh, be thinking and dreaming and praying about our move. Two subtitles to this sermon. Subtitle B, The Move and How We'll Be The Same. You know, because... We're going, so there's some similarities to who we are right now that are going with us. And subtitle A, we go where the Lord directs us. We go where God directs us. And that brings us to this curious story of three characters, of Balaam, an angel that's fierce with sword drawn, and this miraculously empowered donkey. I have spent decades in the pulpit, as many of you know, and this is the first sermon I've ever preached on Balaam and his donkey. And you're going to discover why in just a couple minutes. I'm going to give you a little background. Most preachers don't like talking about this subject. Here's why. First, who's Balaam? Who, who is Balaam? Balaam is a non-Israelite prophet <clears throat> who emerges near the end of Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. They came out of Egypt, they're at, towards the end of the wilderness, and they're starting to look at the land into which they're going. And so the Israelites are defeating kings. God has given them his hand over various kings, and there's this obvious accumulation of, pro of property that's coming. So Balak, the king of Moab, looks across the river and says, I got a problem. They're a mass of them. He calls, calls them in the Bible hordes. There's hordes of them. And so he sends an emissary to, to Balaam, knowing that he hears from God sometimes, and he says, put a curse on these people. And, and Balaam says, no. And, and the king said, but we have lots of money. And so they come back. And he says, let, let me, Balaam says, let me see what God tells me to do. And, ba and God tells Balaam, don't go. So another group of emissaries come from the king of Moab with even more cash. And they say, come with us back to, to, to uh, and, and curse these Israelites. He says, let me, let me pray about it. Let me sleep on it. God comes to him and says, you go, but only say what I direct you. So he refused to speak 
other than what Yahweh or what God told him to say. Only what God would tell him to say. Now, Balaam is a prophet because he did hear from God. He heard the words of God. Remember, he's non-Israelite. He doesn't necessarily believe completely in God, but he, he hears from God. And God gives him the right words to speak. And ultimately, Balaam is known as a very wicked man because his heart was not right with God. Balaam is not a hero. He's not in the list of heroes in Hebrews chapter 11 where it talks about the great heroes of the faith. He just had the gift of being a seer. There are people today and then that could really see what God had in mind and Balaam was one of them. But he did it for money. See, he prophesied for cash. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to monetize the gift that he'd been given. I mean, that's not strange. A lot of people monetize the gifts that they have. But Balaam wanted to monetize this gift that, that, that God had given him. And um, that's a problem for God, by the way. And eventually, Balaam's true colors go, come out, and he misuses his prophetic gift. And if you read no, Numbers 23 and 24, which we won't do today, he, he seeks to and succeeds in leading Israel down the wrong path. So here's the story we're dealing with today. After the two pleadings, after uh, Balak's people have come to Balaam twice, God consents and says, go ahead and go, but don't say anything I didn't say. But as he's going, as he wakes up in the morning and he's going, God is angry. He's angry at Balaam, maybe because Balaam's character is not righteous, maybe because Balaam's character is not with him, or maybe he's angry because Balaam had pressed God to go and actually had profited in, in the going. And so there he is in the, in the road, he's met by this fierce angel, but he doesn't see it quite yet. And his donkey reacts. The donkey sees the angel, Balaam doesn't. So the donkey, doing what donkeys do sometimes, takes off on a run. Balaam beats it into submission, gets it back on the path, but takes it through this narrow place where there's walls on both sides. Donkey sees the angel again with the sword drawn, which would be a terrifying thing. I'm not a donkey, but it seems terrifying, right? Some of you did not agree with that statement. (laughs) And so the donkey fades into the wall and smashes Balaam's ankle against the wall. Again, Balaam just beats uh, his donkey. Third time, the donkey gets up. And this time, the angel stands closer right from him. And the donkey just says, that's it. And he sits down. And Balaam beats him again. He beats and beats this donkey. And then, God's intervention takes on extraordinary proportions. You have to get your mind around what happens next. Balaam and the donkey and the angel all see each other. And the three interact. Let me repeat to you. Balaam, the donkey, and the angel see each other and they all interact with each other. And amusingly, when Balaam's donkey speaks to him, Balaam answers him just like he's talking to a person. Do you understand why preachers don't like preaching on this text very often? I mean, now hold on. This is why. Think about your understanding of talking horses. Put the, this is what you in this congregation think of as talking horse. 
hello, Balaam, right? You've got Mr. Ed going. Or, or maybe if you're a little younger, you think a quick draw, McGraw. Or if you've been around just recently, maybe you're thinking of BoJack Horseman characters. And then if you've got grandkids, you see My Little Pony, right? It's really weird when horses talk. Really, isn't it? You know, I mean, raise your hand if you've talked to a horse. Raise your hand if they've talked back to you. <laughs> Team of psychologists standing by right now. <laughs> the balcony is not helping today. This is, that's funny. Because it's either really weird when horses talk to you or God's intervention taking on extraordinary proportions. Think about the headlines in the Jerusalem Gazette. Donkey sees angel, saves owner by reasoning with him. Buy that paper, wouldn't you? Or, angel spares owner who listens to his donkey. This is the owner who said, if I had a sword, I'd kill you right now. You get why not many sermons are preached on this, right? Keeps coming up. Not only that, do you have this interaction between Balaam and his donkey and the angel, nobody else hears it. The text is absolutely silent on whether the bystanders or anybody else heard any of these voices. Nevertheless, Balaam bows down once he realizes the weight of the situation and repents. He pours his heart out before God. And this is either really weird or this is God's intervention taking on extraordinary proportions. Balaam repents and says, I must only speak what the Lord puts in my mouth. I must only say what the Lord puts in my mouth. So the lesson of Balaam is go where the Lord directs and only as he commands. And I believe for the congregation of Marian Methodists at this particular point in our history that there are four lessons that we can learn from Balaam and I'm going to take you to communion by sharing those lessons. Lesson number one. Listen to the voice of God in the words of outsiders. Put that in your mind. Don't just listen to preachers. Don't listen, just listen to people in your small groups, your Bible studies. Listen to the word of God that can come through the voice of outsiders. Balaam was an outsider, and yet he had a word for the people of Israel. He had a good word for the people of Israel. And if you read Numbers, you can see that he blesses them several times before he loses his interest in talking about God and goes for his own prophet. But he has great words to say for Israel. But sometimes an outsider can, hear a can say a clear word that we should see and that we need to hear. You, you remember in the Gospels, there's a story where Jesus comes from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other. And he's met there at the cemetery of, of, of Gerasene. And in the, in the cemetery, there's this guy that is a wild dog of a man. He's been chained to, to tombstones. He is, he is outside of himself and people can't hold him down, which is why he's chained there. He, he's definitely having these episodes. And yet when he comes up to Jesus, though his disciples who had been in the boat are afraid of everything that's going on around them, can't see who Jesus is, is the, the demoniac runs up to Jesus and says, Jesus, son of the most high God, what do you have to do with me? He names who Jesus is. He says for the disciples, he's an outsider. He has nothing to do with God, but he knows who God is. And he knows who the messengers of God is. In a like manner, when you see Jesus crucified on the cross, 
There standing at the foot of the cross is a soldier. And that soldier sees the earthquake, sees the temple's curtain split in two. And rather than be like all his colleagues running away or like all the disciples who were out into the woods somewhere, he says, surely this man was the son of God. He claims who Jesus is, a complete outsider to the faith. Some would say, I among them, that that's the first Christian the guard of the tombs, the first, first one to declare Christ as the Lord after the resurrect, after his death. Some of you know of, uh, Penn and Teller comedy team. Penn Gillette is a confirmed atheist. Big guy. He goes, actually speaks all the time on the subject. He, he thinks that, um, that all of what we believe is unnecessary. And yet, he has some tremendous words for the church. You can look it up. It's on YouTube. It's everywhere. Just look up Penn Jillette Christianity, and this will come up. He was talking to, um, I think, Bill Mayer. I don't care, but it's what he says. He's talking about Christians. And he says, you know, I'm not a Christian. But if you are a Christian, and you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and that you believe that Jesus Christ can, can save you from your sins, can make your life whole, can lead you to an eternal life, the question then becomes, how much do you have to hate people to not tell them about Jesus? I thought, that's amazing. If we believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of the world, and our Lord and Savior, the question posed by an outsider is, how much do we have to hate people to not tell them about Jesus Christ? Because Walgreens is across the street from my office, from time to time I end up over there and actually was talking to him this week about giving a discount on soup. <laughs> and by the way, good job. And I know the 745 has some soup and the other two services will come on. I appreciate your, your gifts to the food pantry. But as I was talking to the manager over at Walgreens, who I don't know if he's a Christian or not, he's not part of our, our tribe here at Marion Methodist. I was talking to him about what we're doing and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, he's a nice man. And, and he just stops and he says, well, he says, you know, that's good that you're doing that. But doing good for the world is pretty much what you people are all about, isn't it? You know, I need to hear that every once in a while. Because sometimes when you're in here, you, you, you hear about uh, different things about uh, what color the carpet should be. Or why the tacos at Powerhouse didn't taste great. The answer is they're from Taco Bell, but that's not, uh, man, that's going to be on the internet, isn't it? Dang it. In Jesus' name. You're pretty much supposed to be about helping other people. That, that, that's what people think of us. So sometimes, sometimes the, the words of outsiders, the, the people that are uninvolved in our mission that aren't close to what we do, Say exactly who we are and what we're about. And we need to listen to it. This is the case of Balaam. Second lesson we learn from Balaam is to build partnerships for the good of God's people. Balaam was a partner with God and God's people for a bit. He gave them the best. He blessed them with some clarity. I, uh, you know, I think about Walgreens, you know. Um, I don't know if you know this about Walgreens, but for years, Walgreens has 
actually encouraged and invited us to park in the outside ring of their parking, not up against the building, but against the outside ring. And it's a, it's a partnership. For us, it's a great thing because we have extra parking spots close to the church. Do you know why they love it? Yeah, it looks like a sale's going on. It drives traffic. But that's a partnership when, when people are, are mutually benefit. We have other partnership. For, for years, you know, this group crossed the street for as long as I've been alive. As long as that bank has been there, they've let us use their lots on Saturday afternoons like we did yesterday for a wedding and today for, for our, our, our parking. There's a company named Timberline. I don't know if you know of them, but they're a company right here in Marion that on Thursdays during the summer, they send 12, 14 people over here to make fly sandwiches and to put the bags together. And they're also a, a supporter of our fly programs. Years ago, we started a group with, with a number of others called Marion Cares, where, where Marion Cares is, is schools and churches and uh, other organizations, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, working together to help kids in the Marion and Linmar School District advance uh, and have their best best lives. Those are all partnerships. It's be- and I could, there's a litany more I could I could share, but we don't have the minutes for that. It's best when God's people work together. Next week you'll come to this mission fair downstairs, and you can see some of our local partnerships. And we'll, of course, um, you know, clean advertisement. Vicky gave it to you early, but we encourage you to go down, have some coffee, and. Sign up for stuff. Look around. See what God's calling you to. So the second, the third lesson that we get from Balaam's message is discern the warnings. Discern the warnings. God gives warnings all the time. Look for warnings in the ordinary. It starts with that. Look for ordinary warnings. You've got to heed what is intuitively right and wrong and lean into the right. There are things that you know, this is right, this is wrong. That's the natural order. That is that person's stuff, don't take it. That is that person's body, don't hit it. That is that person's mind or heart, don't abuse it with your words or other stuff, and so on and so forth. The natural order in all things has laid out a pretty good plan. There's plenty of warnings of what to do and what not to do. And pursue, and don't, well, don't pursue that which is opposed to God's will or the common good. So do pursue those things that are confluencing with God's will and the common good. So you heed the wordings in the ordinary, but also look for warnings in the extraordinary. If, for instance... You have never had this happen today. But in the middle of the second quarter this evening, after you've eaten nachos, pizzas, and an ice cream sundae, and your chest starts feeling tight, and your left heart starts tingling, don't say to your wife, you know, tomorrow morning for work, we ought to drop by the hospital. That's an extraordinary warning. Go right then. I had a friend that not too long ago sneezed real bad. Lost a sight in his left eye from a sneeze. He waited till morning to go see the doctor. I was like, how many times did that happen to you in your life? Well, it's never happened before. Didn't you think that was an extraordinary warning that something was wrong? I mean, let's, I mean, he did get it fixed, so I can laugh now about the fact that I was already going on the internet looking for patches for him. But um, that's funny to him and I, but not, not even not you. But when you have these extraordinary warnings about health or other things, and I'm talking about health, but, but what about the spiritual things? If a donkey ever talks to you, it seems like first check to see if you've been drinking a lot of coffee or stuff, but listen to the donkey. 
Listen, if some extraordinary thing happens to that, you got to listen to it. You got to heed, heed the warning. In, in Numbers 22, this is why. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden even to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. This is an extraordinary thing. The donkey has always gone where Balaam told him to go. And that particular day, it wandered off. It pushed him against the wall. It sat down. Something extraordinary is happening here. You got to listen to those warnings. You got to listen to the extraordinary. I have had many of you tell me here throughout our congregation that you've had extraordinary, clear messages from God. Extraordinary messages that are outside what normally happens in our talking back and forth and in our going about our days. I, I've, I've had people here in this congregation, some of you in this room today, that have had prophetic dreams, a dream that, that you knew. You, you knew it wasn't like that weird dream where you're on a roller coaster and then you're making an apple pie and then you're folding laundry. Not one of those kind of dreams, but where God actually gives you a message. An overwhelming feeling, words in your heart and your ears, something like that. Many of you have told me that you, that you had this feeling that the Holy Spirit was pushing you to, to doing this or that or the other thing. And, and you weren't qualifying it. You knew it was God moving you. Some of you have, have said, well, I just knew at that moment. I just understood something. And, and more than a few times I've had people be baptized or come down at summer games or through Chrysalis or Emmaus or something just say, there was nothing said, but I just felt the love of God come alive in my spirit. That happens in our classes, our small groups. Those are extraordinary warnings, and you have to heed them. And fourth, and we'll go to communion on this. Fearlessly and faithfully only do as the Lord instructs. Well, what should I do? When you ask the question, what should I do? It begins with this. Test it with the word of God. If you're being asked to do something, see if it's in line with what the word of God. And beyond that, test it with and against the life of God. Of everything you know about the life of God, everything you can read in the scriptures, test what God is asked, what you feel you're being asked to do against those things. And then have the courage to test it with other disciples. You know, to sit down, even sometimes, because I've had these conversations, sometimes they've come out of my mouth, sometimes they've come to my ears, where someone will come to me and said, okay, Mike, this thing's going on in my life, this is going to sound crazy to you, but I think God is telling me this. And you can see right in there, oh, that goes right along with the Word of God, or that goes right along with, 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 with what God's life is. But test it with other people. Don't, you know, I think one of the most important things is, like I was talking earlier about, you know, our Christianity is a socialized faith. We're not sitting here individually. There might be some of us that listen to this on the internet, but usually it's because we missed or we don't live here. You know, but we like being together. So test it with other Christians. When, when, when you are looking to do what the, war, the, the Lord wants to, go and pray for clarity. You know, as Christians... We oftentimes use prayer as a procedural matter. Well, I, this has come up, so I have to pray about it. That's wonderful. And let your prayers come to life. Throw yourself on your face, spiritually, physically, whatever it is, and say, God, I'm feeling this. Is this really true? I need to pray. I need to pray for the midst of this situation. And then, um, this is not just guys, all of us. Have the courage to let the death grip that you have on your good ideas go. Now, I have a lot of 
ideas that are awesome. And I have a lot of ideas that are the opposite of that. But I think they're all awesome because they're mine and you can put a death grip on your own ideas. You can just, man, you squeeze those ideas and say, I don't care what happens, I don't care what happens, this is the best thing ever, I'm going to hold my ideas. And sometimes we ought to say, let's let these ideas out and let's let the death grip go on. And if God wants to embody them, then let him embody those ideas. But if God wants to let them flow away, then let them flow away. And the hardest thing that I'm asking you to do, or that Balaam says, when we fearlessly and faithfully do only as the Lord instructs us, is trust God. Trust God. You know, the interesting thing is about humanity is when someone says to us, hey, trust me, our first instinct is to not. Right? We've all bought carpet or cars, right? Trust me. Our instinct is to say, well, I'm not so sure. In Proverbs, Scripture, one of our groups has been learning, memorizing right now. It says in, in chapter 3, Trust in the Lord with all your strength, lean not into your own understanding, all your ways, follow him, and he will make your path straight. But giving yourself into trust in God is a hard thing. But if you want to fearlessly and faithlessly do as the Lord instructs, you have to trust God. And that's why in Psalm 18, verse 30, it says, As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. So we go as the Lord directs. And I said there was a second subtitle. The second subtitle is, how will we be the same? Well, this is how we will be the same in this move. Our pursuit will be in his way. And only God's way. In everything that we do. Every single thing we do. Big decisions, little decisions. This is how we'll be the same in the move. We're moving together. A long time ago, and I couldn't be prouder of this congregation because I talked to a lot of pastors. A lot of congregations are, they have all these people that come to the church that are named they and them. You know, they are talking about this and them are doing this. All we have left is we and us. It's just we and us. So we are moving together to this new place because they and them left or died a long time ago. So it's just we. We are going together. That, that's how we're going to be the same. It's going to be us. And this is how we'll be the same in the move. We're going to all rally around our refuge. Scriptures say God is our refuge and strength, very present help in times of trouble. The scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ is our refuge and strength, and that is the refuge that we have. As we go, our strength is going to come in our togetherness, in our following the way the Lord directs us, and in us being God's people. Now, folks, we celebrate that every month in Holy Communion. And I'm going to come back in just a minute. But our choir is going to guide you to Holy Communion today. So I'd ask that you drop into a, to a time of prayerful reflection as the choir blesses us forward. It's the high moment in the Christian worship. And here at Mary Methodist, we take Holy Communion in a very simplistic way. It's called intinction. Uh, there will be two stations at the end of these aisles. And you come forward and you take a piece of bread out of a tray with your own hand. Uh, if you need gluten-free, it will be obvious what that is. Uh, dip it into the cup, receive the sacrament, and then come towards the center aisle. And, and please, if you uh, desire, take time to pray here at the kneeling rail. And then uh, it's best when we go back to our seats through the center aisle because then we jostle into each other a little bit less. 
there's offering plates on your way to communion. And if you're part of our homebound communion team, uh, you see the bags here at my feet that will be blessed um, directly when we bless these elements to go to those that uh, receive communion beyond this place through our, our, our ministry of, of homebound communion and hospitals and that sort of thing. On the last night of his life, our Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread and before his disciples, he broke it. Then he offered it to them and said, take and eat. This bread represents my body. And as, as you will soon see, my body broke before you. This bread has been broken before you. So every time you eat bread, remember me. Now following the supper, after everyone had had their fill, our Lord Jesus took the cup, offered thanks to his Father in heaven, and then said to his disciples, drink from this, all of you. For in the cup is the wine, which represents my blood, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat bread, drink this wine in remembrance of me. And and so this morning as we come forward, and and just so you know, if you're not part of our congregation, you're invited to this. Uh, If you don't feel comfortable, don't come forward. But but we welcome all uh, who desire Jesus as their Lord or receive him. But as you come forward, it was our prayer this morning, earlier before you arrived, maybe even before you got in your cars, that, that today when you were coming down the, the aisle, that, that one or ten or a hundred of you w- would not have the experience of just standing in line and seeing el- who else is here, but that you really might have a moment when those tastes hit your mouth, uh, that you understand that, that God is present in your life and, and that you are an emissary for him in the world and that your life can be ablaze for him if you lean into him. Uh, so these, this is a memorial meal. It's an opportunity for you to experience Christ today. Uh, Please, when opportunity is knocking on your heart, don't let it pass by without an answer.